0: All right, we are in our final Esther session tonight. I called this one Aftermath. We're going to be in Esther 9 and 10. And uh, let's open with a word of prayer. God, thank you for this journey that you brought us on uh, through the book of Esther. Thank you for this opportunity. We have one final time in this book, in this series, to be able to learn about uh, the story you've preserved for us to learn about and what it teaches us about you, what it teaches us about faith, what it teaches us about how we're to live this life. Even in situations that are just not as cut and dry as we'd like. And seeing your providential hand at work. God, we thank you for this text and for this evening we've got. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So plans have to come to fruition. Plans have to unfold. And I recently had um, a great planned thing. I, well, my daughter and I, she's three and a half. I, the moment I say she's three, she reminds me, no, Daddy, I'm three and a half. Okay, so we were going to the library, at the, the Disciplines Library. We were at the, the local library, and they have a, a wall full of, you know, advertisements or, you know, community information. And there was a poster there. And she couldn't read the poster, but she saw a little princess on that poster. And she saw a knight on that poster. And she turned around and was looking at me with expectant eyes. It was a daddy-daughter dance poster. So that was a moment where daddy's got to come through. She's looking back at me like a make it happen kind of look. And so, oh, that's a daddy-daughter dance. She's like, yeah, princess and a knight, and I want to be the princess. Okay, so I did a good thing, and I did a not-so-good thing. I I had a great plan. Oh, the, the But my great plan was awesomely great. It was amazingly great. It was the complete daddy and also husband for the win kind of great. So here's the good thing I did. So I, so I you have to pay, you have to order the ticket online. There's a local high school putting it on, but you have to order the tickets. you go online, and basically you pay for daddy, and you get the princesses comes free. You got one kid or three kids. They can all come free, but you pay for daddy. And so I bought my ticket, and then they did an upcharge on me. They said, for $5 more, for $5 more, you can make sure that your princess gets a corsage, Ooh. right? Now, I thought, you know, like, this, this is a moment here where I stop being daddy and I become husband. My wife would like me to have her corsage for her baby girl. My wife wants that corsage probably more than the baby wants the more the the, the the toddler wants the corsage, but I'm like, you know what? That's the best five dollars I ever spent. So we we are at the we are at the daddy daughter dance, and I line up. I get my wristband because I'm I'm the one that was paid for. I get the wristband, and my, my daughter goes up to the. And they were smart. They, they had, it was a high school putting it on, so they had a bunch of high school girls, and they were all in prom dresses. And so a little girl coming in is looking at a, a, an older, you know, young woman in a prom dress and thinking, oh, she's a princess. And, of course, those girls are eating it up. So Julie goes to all these girls and is like, you're princesses. And they're like, oh. And they're like, you're a princess too, and I like your dresses. Like they're like talking to each other, a 17-year-old and a 3-year-old, 3 year old three and a half year old sorry. And so... Yeah, and so one of the stations was, okay, princess, let me have your wrist. And so she daintily extends her wrist. You've got to understand, we had a coat check moment, too, where my daughter checked her leopard fur coat that her grandma got her, this little poofy thing, and a purse, she checked a handbag. I mean, we're talking girly girl. She shows up, and she puts her arm out. And so the, 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 you know, the high school girl, there were some high school girls that were dressed up in obvious Disney knockoff kind of things. Like, like you know, my daughter walks up, oh, it's Elsa. Yeah, okay, there you go. Or hey, it's Belle, or it's Mulan, or one of these Disney princes. But then all they had to do was show up in their nice dresses, and the little girl thinks they're princess. So one of these young women, the high school student, tying the, the, the thing on, I said, hold on, stop. And I get my phone out. I'm like, take it slow. I need to get a good shot of this because this is the moment right here because by the end of the night, this corsage is going to probably be stuffed in my pocket or something because <laughs> she's going she's to be tired of it. It's going to be this wrinkly ribbon nonsense. I'm going to get a good picture. And I was able to text my wife these pictures in real time back home, so she's getting it point by point. The best move I ever made was that $5 sinking corsage. Good plan, Daddy, good plan. And here's the bad plan. Oh my gosh. So we're, 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 we finally got through the, uh, we had to wait in this huge line to get this ridiculous picture taken. It wasn't even that good of a picture. My daughter's wanting to dance, wanting to dance, and she's looking at the disco ball, putting stuff on the floor from the lights, and she's like, this is the most amazing thing ever. And dance with me, Daddy, like, okay, we can dance, but we can't really go anywhere because we're in this line. And we get that all done, like, oh, it's time to dance. And Julia, my daughter, walked up and she goes, she sees this line of princesses and she goes, ooh! And I've, I've learned to translate those oohs. That ooh was the same ooh she gave me when she saw that, that picture at the library. Ooh! Okay. That ooh was, I don't know how to say this, Daddy, but I want to dance in that big conga line of princesses. And you know, the shoulders, you know, the hands on the shoulders of the girl in front of them. So I wait for an opening and I stuck Julie in there and she was ready to go. Here's the problem. Those girls... In the conga line, we were able to go places that the daddies couldn't exactly follow. They were winding in and out and in and out and in and out and up by the stage, by the speakers, and all. And when she went up by the speakers, that line of girls, I lost her. It was the hardest four minutes of my life of looking around this room, this dark, this ballroom, and looking for my girl, like, oh my gosh, this is the dumbest thing I've ever done. And yeah, I ended up finding her. And it was one of those things where, like, how do I rescue this? So on the on the way home, I'm like, you know, uh, she, she had come up and she had found the girls that she was dancing with found their father. And so she was talking to that father, like, I can't find my daddy. So I guess I'll talk to you. I'm lost. And so we're driving home and I'm telling her, that was a really good move. You were a really big girl in that moment to find a daddy to say, I'm lost. And please help me find my daddy. I said, that was a good job. Sometimes, sometimes we get lost. Sometimes things happen we can't control, but you know what? You made a really good decision in that moment, and I'm proud of you. I didn't say, and I will never make a conga line mistake again. <laughs> but you see, plans unfold. Sometimes they're easy and they're good. Sometimes they're surprises and they're, oh my gosh. And the plan's going to unfold in the text today. Chapter 9, 1 to 4. On the thirteenth day of the twelfth month, the month of Adar, the edict commanded by the king was to be carried out. On this day, the enemies of the Jews had hoped to overpower them. But now the tables were turned and the Jews got the upper hand over those who hated them. The Jews assembled in their cities and in all the provinces of King Xerxes to attack those determined to destroy them. No one could stand against them because the people of all the other nationalities were afraid of them and all the nobles of the provinces, the satraps, the governors, and the king's administrators helped the Jews. Wow. Because fear of Mordecai had seized them. Wow. Fear of Mordecai. Mordecai was prominent in the palace. His reputation spread throughout the provinces, and he became more and more powerful. Wow. So we've got number one, the fear of the Jews, and number two, the fear of Mordecai. So this plan unfolds and uh, fear is a first response and there's an interesting connection here with daniel chapter six i threw i threw this on your page and this is uh a king before xerxes king darius then king darius wrote to all the peoples nations and men of every language through the, throughout the land may you prosper greatly i issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom people must fear and reverence the god of daniel you see this is the, what we're used to in the bible one more time, we're used to this kind of thing happening where God is, is very overtly there. And uh, there happens a couple of times in the book of Daniel where, you know, one time we got you know Nebuchadnezzar with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You know, no one's going to talk trash about, about Israel's God anymore. And again, with Daniel in the lion's den, same deal. And here we have King Darius. Like, everyone must fear and reverence. So this could be just as simple as, you know what, of all the gods you worship, you've got to add this one to the list. Or it could be, hey, you know what? You might want to think about Israel's God. We don't exactly know. Probably the former is the best one, but we're used to this. We're not used to the Jews were feared and Mordecai was feared. So it's just, I just want to point out that little contrast. It's just, it, it stood out to me because of what we're used to in the Bible. And so we got the defeat in 5 to 10. The Jews struck down all their enemies with the sword, killing and destroying them. And they did what they pleased to those who hated them. Wow. <laughs> have you ever had a selfish moment where you thought, boy, I just want to do what I please with those people who are making my life really bad? Um, I, of course, have never. Of course not. But maybe uh, uh, that's just, wow. They did what they pleased. Man. Okay. In the citadel of Susa, the Jews killed and destroyed 500 men. They also killed, let me get some fun names here. Let's see what we can do. Parshandatha, Dalphan, Aspatha, Poratha, Adalia, Aridatha, Parmashta, Arasai, Aridai, and Vizatha. So, why in the world are they listed? Well, they happen to be the ten sons of Haman. Ooh. We get a few more boos today. Son of Hamidatha, the enemy of the Jews, but they did not lay their hands on the king's Oh, plund- Excuse me, on the plunder. So, I wondered about that. Because we have, number one, complete victory over the enemies for the Jews. Complete victory. Oh, my gosh, victory. And the plunder was not seized. And what's interesting about this, I think three times in our text today, the narrator is going to remind us the plunder was not seized. And there's no real reason why except just stating it. So I found found a, a, a connection here in Genesis chapter 14. The king of Sodom, yes, that Sodom, said to Abraham... Give me the people and keep the goods for yourself. So everything, they're dividing things after a victory. You give me the people and all the things, you get those. Keep those for yourself. But Abram, the guy who was going to be later renamed Abraham, but Abram said to the king of Sodom, I've raised my hands of the Lord, God most high, creator of heaven and earth. And I've taken on oath an oath that I will accept nothing belonging to you, not even a thread or the thong of a sandal, so that you will never be able to say, I made Abram rich. So there's something about that. It's just like Abram is is defeating a narrative before that narrative could even form. So Sodom couldn't come along and see Abram greatly blessed one day with all these gold and riches and flocks and all these things. They go, yeah, you know what? I gave you the seed money for that. So you know what? Maybe you can uh, uh, scratch my back now because I once took care of you and maybe you can take care of me. I don't know. But it totally gets rid of any of that. I don't know if that's what's going on here, but that's a connection we have in Scripture to I'm not going to take the plunder, when Abram, according to Sodom here, is clearly owed this plunder, where nobody's going to say, what are you doing here? And there's other times in Scripture, like in the book of Joshua, where they conquered the city Ai, and there was a, guy, you know, a young guy named Achan, and he took the plunder, and he got found out, and he got crispy critters. I mean, I think the ground swallowed him and his family. It was like, you don't take the plunder when God says No. This happened in the Samuel story with Agag, the the, the Amalekite, where Saul was taking the plunder. He took the best things for himself, and the Samuel's like, "What is the deal?" God didn't say that. God said, "Put them all to the sword." So Abram is not taking plunder to get rid of a potential narrative that the enemy made him rich, or that someone else made him rich. Because I guess that would take away some of God's glory. Because if Abram's going to strike it nicely, it's going to be because of God. And so we're left to wonder about that, why they didn't get the plunder. Who told them not to take the plunder? Because if you remember from the previous week, they got express permission to plunder. They were told they could plunder. Have at it. From top down. You can defend yourselves and then go on the attack if you need to. Go plunder. Go have at it so we're a little surprised they're not plundering here but they're not so aftermath. 11 and 19 the number of those killed in the citadel of Susa was reported to the king that same day the king said to Queen Esther the Jews have killed and destroyed 500 men and the 10 sons of Haman in the citadel of Susa what have they done in the rest of the king's provinces this is like election night where all the results are coming in and they're like, oh, what about this one? What about that one over there? They, they just keep coming in. Okay. What have they done in the rest of the king's provinces? And then Xerxes does it again. What's your petition? It will be given you. What's your request? Will also be granted. Now I'm wondering about this. What's this guy's deal? So on the, on the, on the nice side is, okay, what an attentive husband What a nice guy. Here, honey, let me do you one more favor because I love you. It also could be, oh my gosh, my wife is the hot hand and I'm going to ride this hot hand. You were right, dear. That thing you wanted, boom. What else do you want? Let's keep going. I don't know. I could see either one working here Um, because it doesn't have to be romantic, but it does sound kind of romantic because then she takes advantage. She's like, okay, what's she say? Well... If it pleases the king, Esther answered, give the Jews in Susa permission to carry out this day's edict, also tomorrow. And let Haman... <laughs> oh, oh, this is my struggle. Did Esther turn to the dark side here? And let Haman's ten sons be impaled on poles. Wow. They were, they were dead. And evidently, she wants the display she wants she wants i mean we we see this in a, in a in a pirate movie we see this in a pirate movie we're like okay they see this like hanged pirate or something like that and like this is what happens to people who cross us or uh ironically this is what happened in uh, in rome uh jesus got off the cross really quickly in terms of uh the roman way to do it was to crucify someone and they rotted on that cross and the birds of the air, and the, the, the creepy cross, all that kind of stuff just picked at it. And, that, and the crucifixion served as a reminder. Don't you dare cross the mighty Rome. And so, um, Jesus, the whole Sabbath thing, and the Passover, and, 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 and Joseph of Arimathea evidently had some pull to get him off that cross and get him into a tomb. I'm just saying, because the Roman way is like he rots, and I also hate to say this as well. If you go back into history, you see people who, I guess, like with lynchings and public hangings, when they don't take them down, they let them stay there as a reminder. Don't cross us. This is what happens to those who are enemies of the state or whatnot, or enemies of this group. I'm trying to clean that up, but if, if, they, if they stood, if they stayed as a reminder, as a public display, Esther's going for that moment here, it seems like. And Yeah, this is just let them be on poles, and uh, yeah, so the king commanded that this be done. An edict was issued in Susa, and they impaled the ten sons of Haman. The Jews in Susa came together on the fourteenth day of the month of Adar, and they put to death in Susa three hundred men, but they did not lay their hands on the plunder. Meanwhile, the remainder of the Jews who were in the king's provinces also assembled to protect themselves and get relief from the enemies." they killed 75,000 of them, but did not lay hands on the plunder. This happened on the 13th day of the month of Adar, and on the 14th, they arrested and made it a day of feasting and joy. The Jews in Susa, however, had assembled on the 13th and the 14th, because remember, she requested the additional day, the 13th and the 14th, and then on the 15th, they arrested and made it a day of feasting and joy. This is why, a word I can't say very well, rural, rural Jews... Those living in villages observe the 14th of the month of Adar as a day of joy and feasting and a day for giving presents to each other. A buddy of mine, a buddy of mine who's a, uh, he, he's, he's a, an ethnic Jew, and, but he's also, he's now a Christian, but he, he learned that we were going to be eating Haman's ears or hamantaschen. And he says, well, great. Are you also having cheesecake? Because evidently cheesecake's a thing. And evidently giving presents to people is also a thing. No, we didn't give presents or alms for the poor or anything like that. But uh, yeah, we'll see that here coming up. So Esther requests, number one, a second day and a public display. Number two, the calendar thus unfolded and resulted with joyful partying. So Purim is a time for parties. If anyone says our God is a boring God, look at the festival calendar. Every one of those festivals is a party. Every one of those festivals involves meat in a time where you probably didn't eat a lot of meat. That is regularly scheduled barbecue. I mean, you look at the Old Testament sacrificial system and it talks about a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Yes! Any guy who's ever put on the apron and gone outside with a pair of tongs knows all about a barbecue pleasing aroma. Yes! Yes! So that's what joy in feasting is. And that would have involved some sort of wine... And uh, that's just the way things worked. I know that's the way it worked in Persia. My goodness, Xerxes loved his wine. So we have Esther requesting a second day with a public display. The calendar unfolds and uh, joyful parting, but still no plunder. Twenty twenty-six. We got to finish this out here. Mordecai recorded these events, and he sent letters to all the Jews throughout the provinces of King Xerxes, near and far, to have them celebrate annually the fourteenth and fifteenth days of the month of Adar, as the time when the Jews got relief from their enemies. And as the month when their sorrow was turned into joy and their mourning into a day of celebration. Wow. Mourning turned into joy. That's just beautiful. He wrote them to observe the days as days of feasting and joy and giving presents of food to one another and gifts to the poor. 23. So the Jews agreed to continue the celebration they had begun doing what Mordecai had written to them. For Haman... Son of Hamidathah the Agagite, the enemy of all the Jews, like the narrators, making sure we don't miss this again, had plotted against the Jews to destroy them and had cast the poor, that is the lot, for their ruin and destruction. But when the plot came to the king's attention, he issued written orders that the evil scheme Haman had devised against the Jews should come back onto his own head, and that he and his son should be impaled on poles, Therefore, the days were called Purim, from the word poor. If you see an im in the Hebrew, that is just a masculine plural. Purim. If you see an oat, uh, that is a feminine plural. And so, but uh, poor and Purim, so that's a multiple of the poors. Okay, that's all it means. Because of everything written in this letter and because of, of what they had seen and what had happened to them. The Jews took it on themselves to establish the custom that they and their descendants and all who joined them should without fail, and by the way, that's us, all who join them, we join them, should without fail observe these two days every year in the way prescribed and at the time appointed. These days should be remembered and observed in every generation, by every family, in every province, in every city. And these days of Purim should never fail to be celebrated by the Jews, nor should the memory of these days die out among their descendants. Wow. Number one, Mordecai established and and regulated a holiday of perspective for the Jews. Another great holiday of perspective, of course, is Passover. A different kind of deliverance, but deliverance nonetheless. And we we discussed this back in our first session, but, but Purim is one of the two mandated festival holidays that are not in the Torah, the other being Hanukkah. And a Jew must celebrate Hanukkah. Hanukkah comes from the intertestamental time so between Malachi and Matthew, essentially. The time between the two testaments. And so the Hanukkah tradition comes from there. And Jesus was around during Hanukkah as well, as it was celebrated. In one of the gospel texts, it talks about a feast of dedication that is Hanukkah. So Jesus was in Jerusalem during Hanukkah, at least one of the Hanukkahs. And so Hanukkah was around in Jesus' time. And so Hanukkah and Purim are the two festival calendars, two festival celebrations on the calendar that Moses had nothing to do with, or the law of Moses. The rest are all in like Leviticus 23. They're all there. Okay. So, this is the enduring legacy of the book of Esther. The book of Esther continues to be important. It must be read. It must be celebrated. We must understand what Purim is all about. It has an enduring legacy for the Jew and for anybody who wants to see God at work through the ordinary events of life. It has an enduring legacy. So we're going to conclude with Esther first, and then with... uh, It's hard to argue against this. The real star of the story, believe it or not, Mordecai. I'm just saying. His name's not on the book, but it's... Let's start with Esther, 29 to 32. So Queen Esther, daughter of Abihel, along with Mordecai the Jew, wrote with full authority to confirm the second letter concerning Purim. And Mordecai sent letters to all the Jews in the the 127 provinces of Xerxes' kingdom, words of goodwill and assurance, to establish these days of Purim at their designated times, as Mordecai the Jew and Queen Esther had decreed for them. And as they had established for themselves and their descendants in regards to the times of fasting and lamentation. Esther's decree confirmed these regulations about Purim and it was written down in the records. So a couple final notes about Esther here. Number one, she fully did right by Mordecai. Mordecai raised her. Mordecai, whatever, his financial obligations to take care of this, this, this cousin of his, he uh, gave everything for her as someone who raises someone. Okay, she did right by him. If there's, I'm not saying there's a debt that had to be repaid, but if there was, oh, Lordy, that debt is repaid. She fully did right by this man. Remember, she's the one who spoke up for him. And got his name on the books, those books that would later be read for Mordecai to get exalted, to eventually come before the king himself and receive the king's reign and and Haman's downfall. And now he's number two. Yeah, she did right by Mordecai. Second of all, Esther fully did right by the Jews. Or you might be able to say, finally, Hadassah did right by her people. Oh, my goodness. They went from, they're going to be crispy critters on this day to now they are um, kicking butt and taking names. Not just surviving, but thriving. Dang. And it's all because of her stepping up for such a time as this. She fully did right by Mordecai. She fully did right by the Jews. There's nothing left unpaid. Now Mordecai, Chapter 10. Chapter 10 is really small. Three verses. Here we go. King Xerxes imposed tribute throughout the empire to his distant shores. What? (laughs) This is like when you're reading the Christmas story in Luke and you read about Quirinius being governor of Syria. And you read about Caesar asking for people to come back for a census. And so Joseph had to come to his hometown of Bethlehem. Xerxes wasn't just about the Esther story. He's the most important man in the world. He has his other things going on. He has his kingdom. He has his wars. He has all these kind of things. So this is just reminding us, yeah, Xerxes was all about taking care of his business. And all the acts of power and might together with a full account of the greatness of Mordecai. I told you. Whom the king had promoted. Are they not written in the book of the annals of the kings of Media and Persia? Mordecai the Jew was second in rank to King Xerxes. Dang. Promin- preeminent among the Jews and held in high esteem by his many fellow Jews because he worked for the good of his people and spoke up for the welfare of all the Jews. Mordecai is remembered for his greatness. Dang. I mean, that's like George Washington territory. We remember George Washington because he was great And because he accomplished things. And very key things that he accomplished that no one else had. But Mordecai's remembered for his greatness. I mean, dang! But also he's, he's celebrated for his advocacy. Because of him, the Jews survived. Same with Queen Esther, because of her too. But at the end of the day, he's getting the final credit wow that's the book of Esther so I was sitting in service this last Sunday and you you know you know me that this is something that I've struggled with because I because I kept this whole time together I kept taking the book of Esther out of the Bible and I kept saying listen I was building this argument. I kept calling it tension that we had to marinate in. And that tension was, the book of Esther is just so unique. It's just the most unique book of the Bible. God's not even mentioned. There's no prophet. There's no priest. There's none of that stuff. There's no religion. There's no prayer. There's none of this. And so we took Esther out of the Bible to say, listen... This is a unique book. we've got to deal with it uniquely, we've got to embrace the tension of we can't really read God into this text because God's not overtly there, like we're used to God being overtly there. But as I shared last week, I'm growing tired of that. I'm sick of it. I want to go to sleep at night regarding with this, because Esther is a unique book of the Bible but it's a book of the Bible. So we got to conclude this by finally resolving this tension. And here's how, I, here's how I thought to resolve this. It came to me as I was worshiping God on Sunday when that Waymaker song came on. I'm going to read this to you. I'm going to read it like a poem, but I've highlighted a part there in green, and I'm going to emphasize that when I read it. Here we go. This is... Uh, Leland is the, is the author here. You are here moving in our midst, I worship you, I worship you. You are here working in, the, in this place, I worship you, I worship you. You are way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. You are here touching every heart, I worship you, I worship you. You are here healing every heart, I worship you, I worship you. You are here turning lives around I worship you, I worship you. You are here mending every heart. I worship you, I worship you. You are way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. Now we get to the bridge, and now I get excited because as I sat there worshiping God, I read these words on the screen. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop I'm emotional right now. You never stop working. You never stop. You never stop working. And I sat there in my seat and I went, oh my gosh, Esther has a praise song. That's it. Those words right there ease my Esther tension. Even when I don't see who you're working. We've had 10 chapters of this. We don't see him. He's nowhere to be seen on purpose. Because remember, the Holy Spirit wrote this. we got to read Esther as Holy Scripture. We spent seven weeks taking the Esther out of the Bible to deal with it properly, and I feel good about that. That tension is how you study Esther properly, at least in my opinion, in my studies. It's like you got to embrace that tension because it's there. But by God, and I don't mean that pejoratively, by God, you got to put it back in. Because Esther is a book of the Bible. Even when we don't see God. Even when God's not in the text, he's working. And we've been bracing that tension every week. But God's moving the chess pieces. We just can't say more because he's not there. But he is. If you put Esther in the Bible where it's supposed to be, and you interpret Esther as a book of the Bible, as Holy Scripture, then all of a sudden, God is everywhere. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. I thought, Esther has a song Esther has a song. That's great. That is Esther. Right there, you never stop. Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. My God, that is who you are. Oh my goodness. Let's just go through the story. Vashti is out. Now we gotta look for a replacement. God's at work. Esther chosen out of a whole nation full of gorgeous women. God's at work. Haman rose instead of Mordecai. After Mordecai saved the day, it's injustice, but God's at work. The Jews' downfall is on the books. Mordecai has a big speech to Esther. God is at work. Esther finds favor again and again and again as she launches her plan with her husband. God is at work. Haman makes a poll. God's at work. Mordecai is honored by Haman. God's at work. Haman has a downfall and is going to ride his own pole. God's at work. Dang. The Jews on the books are going to die, but then they not only don't die, but they thrive. God's at work. Dang. Even when I don't see it, God, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop. You never stop working. You never stop. You never stop working. Tension resolved. God uniquely uses our events in our life even when we can't see him even when we don't know even know he's there the whole book of Esther the brilliance of the narrative of Esther is that it's like if God never speaks he just works but he's working we never can forget that God is at work even when we can't see it even when it feels like we don't see him at work we don't feel him at work we don't acknowledge him at work none of that he's at work God is God, and he's at work. He's working his plan, and, and, and you've got to understand, Ezra and Nehemiah and the Jews back in Jerusalem, they were on the books as well. But God used some secular people, not the religious people, to save the day. God uses you in the events of your life for his glory, and he never stops working. Even when it looks like he's not there, He is. Every time you hear this praise song sung, as we've been singing it a lot, I want you to think about our sister Esther. I want you to remember our brother Mordecai. Our God never stops working. And He can use me, He can use you. And He'll use you at your work, He'll use you in your family, He'll use you in the events of your life. Even when things aren't neat and tidy. Even when you make great, awesome decisions like buying a, uh, a corsage or boneheaded decisions like letting your three-year-old go on a conga line full of pink princesses and then immediately losing her and knowing that you're going to have to face your wife when you get home with this very knowledge. Yeah. He never stops working. Oh my goodness, the prayers I was saying in those four minutes with my eyes as big as saucers looking around the room and seeing nothing but little pink dresses and not one of them, my daughter, until I finally saw her. My finger outstretched, and the arms were outstretched, and her arms were outstretched. And I was shaking the hands of that daddy and thanking him for stepping in. Even when we don't see it, he's working. Don't you ever forget that. That's the enduring legacy of Esther. When all hope is lost, that hope is never lost because our God's at work. The book of Esther. Thank you for letting me share.